0: They've, they know Jesus, and then in comes in their, their midst, a Gentile family, and they know Jesus. And, and so, does the Jewish family say, hey, come over and join us for dinner? Couldn't do that before. We can do that now? No, we can't do that now. Well, why? Well, because uh, they're Gentiles. No, but they're... Ooh, You see, it gets, it gets hard. They didn't know what to do. And so, two groups of people were causing problems for these Gentile Christians there in Galatia. And that was a group of unbelieving Jews that were just determined to destroy Christ's church from the beginning by applying very hard legalism and, 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 and formality to, uh, uh, to obey the Mosaic law. But then there were the Jewish believers who I think they thought they were well-intentioned trying to trying to do the right thing and, and to, preserve, uh, to preserve Moses, right? Because that's what they grew up, I mean, that was so entrenched. So these were the two things that were hitting the Galatian church. So, secondly, and shortly after Paul had departed uh, Galatia, false teachers descended upon these churches, and they attacked Paul's authority as an apostle. First thing. I mean, that was the first thing they did. And, and, and they accused him, actually, or they actually preached a false gospel. They didn't accuse him of doing this, but they preached a false gospel, which we all know it to be Jesus Plus, the Jesus Plus gospel. And these false teachers taught that circumcision was necessary for salvation. And since the Galatian churches were largely composed of Gentiles or non-Jews, the false teachers taught that converts not only had to believe in Christ for their salvation, but also they had to be circumcised. Again, please try to understand the seriousness of the climate, the atmosphere that these, that these Gentile Christians bl- lived in. Please try to understand the atmosphere that these Jewish believers that in Christ lived in. The, we don't know very well just how seriously the, the, the Jewish uh, nation persecuted the church in that first century. I mean, they were the chief persecutors for the longest time, well before Rome got in on it. And so this issue of circumcision was more than just about a physical right. It was about who was acceptable to God and who was not. It's about what made you accepted in the Messiah and who was not acceptable in the Messiah. And and again, So it was, yes, if you want to believe in Jesus, that's good, but it's not enough. The word apostle then, what is an apostle? The word apostle comes from the Greek word apostolos, and it means one who is sent, as I said before, as in an envoy, Origin actually puts it, everyone who is sent by someone is an apostle of the one who sent him. So, if my wife had a message for Jesse and I'm going into town and I'm supposed to swing by, I could be an apostle (laughs) with a message for mom. (laughs) Okay. One who is sent. That is the very, you know, the very uh, plain definition. But when describing himself... Paul uses Apostolos to claim equal status with the original 12 apostles. So let's look in Luke chapter six, Luke chapter 6 verse 13. Luke 6:13. And if, if you don't want to turn, just listen. Luke 6:13 says this, "And when it was day, he called his disciples. This is uh, Jesus. He called his disciples to himself, and from them it says he chose twelve whom he named apostles. Okay, so these are the original twelve that Paul is claiming equal status with. Or in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1 through 5. Now, this is Paul writing. He says, Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Now, that's a key verse. Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? If I am not an apostle to others, yet doubtless I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. If you remember in Galatians 1, it says Paul an apostle with the brethren. So not not only is he claiming equal status as an apostle with the original twelve, But he's saying, so the brethren that are with me are as well and can attest to it. By validating that what I am preaching, they have also heard. By the others, the other apostles as well. And he says in verse three, my defense to those who examine me is this. Do we have no right to eat and drink? Do we have no right to take along a believing wife as do also? Now notice this, the other apostles the brothers of the Lord, and then it says, and Cephas, or Peter. So right here we have in 1 Corinthians, Paul claiming not just one who is sent, but he's claiming equal status then with all the original 12 apostles. So when he claims apostolic status in his letter openings, Paul will often also trace that status to the call of God, but only here in Galatians... Does Paul set that divine calling in contrast to any possible human appointment? Po- humans didn't appoint him. He didn't appoint himself. So that's the one thing that I always found unusual about what we have in modern day apostles. Not false apostles. They appoint themselves. Okay, I know of one who has a big building right over here that he was just standing there one day and boom. He's an apostle. And, and these others do the same thing. But Paul is saying specifically, no, in my calling, I've, I met with these apostles. I have been confirmed by these apostles, and more than that, by Jesus himself, as we'll soon see. So first thing then, we have to know about what is an apostle. There are three qualifiers that you have to be able to meet to be an apostle. Three. We'll see how any of the ones you've heard of that are still alive are doing with that, or any of the ones you've heard of from history post Paul have done with it. First, an apostle was an eyewitness to the risen Christ. Now, we just read, Have I not seen Jesus? Okay. In Acts chapter 9, verses 3 through 6, and then in verse 15. This is where Paul gets his appointment. This is where Paul actually gets his conversion and appointment all in one. As he journeyed and he came near Damascus as Saul. Remember the breathing threats against the church? Suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? It's a good question. Then the Lord said, I am Jesus. Okay, let's stop right there. Here is Saul going out as an unregenerate religious Jew, Pharisee, with letters of permission to lock up any Jew he finds worshiping this Jesus. Separating families, submits, uh, consenting to their deaths, and he's headed out to another place to round them up. Gets knocked off his feet. Jesus is drilling him. Who are you, Lord? And then Jesus, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. This is not a group text, if you will. Okay, this is specific. This is aimed. Even though Paul was with an entourage, it was him that Jesus was speaking to. And I believe it. this is the point when Paul said, Have I not seen Jesus? And so Jesus says, It is hard for you to kick against the goads, which were pointed instruments that kept oxen in line from veering off and out of the yoke. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Now I want to just say something on issues of faith real quick. When you become a Christian and you're truly born again, this is... Please get this. It isn't, am I a Christian and do I know Jesus? If I'm a Christian and I and I know Jesus, my first question is, Lord, what? Lord, there's a confession. Lord, what do you want me to do? Because you're no longer your own. And, And in that moment of conversion, when regeneration happens to your soul. Okay. and you're justified before God and you're given faith, we call it being born again, all those things. It's an umbrella term of being born again. But these are the components that are happening. Your initial response is, Lord. If your idea of being a Christian is different than that, you don't know Him. I promise you, you don't. Because there is something in us that cries out, Abba, Father. And I hate the way that's been abused a lot. Because this isn't just like saying, hey, Daddy. Hey, Dad. No. This was the utmost respect from a child who reverences their father so much that when they approach with that love that only can be stowed by birth, they cry out, Dad, Papa. You bought me. Therefore, Lord is the first appropriate response to those who have been born again. If you do not think of Jesus as Lord, and I don't mean just a title, what's Jesus' first name? Well, it must be Lord, because people call him Lord Jesus. It must be his middle name, and Christ his last. It's not like that. You're applying Lord to the one whom you know has brought you to your knees. And then Paul says, what do you want me to do? Because God, upon conversion, puts it in our heart to want to serve Him. So if your testimony doesn't have those components, I'm going to tell you something. I highly doubt that you've been born again. You may be moral. You may be churched. You may really appreciate and respect the faith, but you do not know Christ. Unless there is an innate, compelling of Lord, what shall I do? Lord, I can't keep from talking to you. Lord, I can't help but say and express my love for you. Lord, this is your day that you've given me, your servant. And this is is a whole new person that lives. Then the Lord said, Arise and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. And, of course, the one who knows Jesus as Lord says, Okay, And verse 15, Ananias there, Saul is with him, and the Lord said to him, go. Because Ananias is having issues with Jesus going, this guy's kind of dangerous. He's shady. I'm a little nervous about having him in the house. But Jesus said to him, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. Now, did you hear that part? So not only do we have Paul's testimony of seeing Jesus to be appointed an apostle, but we also have Ananias' testimony as well. He's a chosen generate. Jesus said he's a chosen, he chose him to do it. So, and it says, I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Now again, in 1 Corinthians 9 that we just read, Paul alludes to the fact, have I not seen Jesus and Ananias can back this up. So he's not an apostle in his own mind and imagination. So JT, I'm going to pick on JT today because he's over there. So JT decides to go camping off on the river. He's being real earthy about it, you know. And, and then he comes back and says, well, Mickey, I was out there. and I sat down on this rock and suddenly a, a beam of light shone through. And I heard God say, JT, you are an apostle now. I want you to go take my name back to the church and say whatever I tell you to say. And then hits his testimony. I'd say, well, do you have anchovies? (laughs) You know, or sardines or something that went bad. Who can confirm this to you, JT? Well, God confirms it. It's the only one that I need. Well, we need more because all the other apostles had more. You follow? You see what I'm saying? There's a chain of command, and they they affirm it with each other. It's not done in a vacuum. How convenient! You're out on that rock, and you come up, you slipped and hit your head, and suddenly, you know you you don't need to go to church. You need to go to the doctor, okay? Because you've had a brain injury or something. Because I'll tell you. God doesn't do that. He confirms it by the others. And that's exactly what we see with, with Paul. So number two, an apostle was appointed directly by Christ, directly. So think of the ones you may have heard of. Have they been appointed directly by Christ? When I say directly, here's what I'm, I'm meaning. You've seen, they've seen him in person, and he said, do this. Now, if they claim that, somebody's lying. Luke chapter 6 and verse 13. And when it was day, Jesus again said he called his disciples and said, and he chose the 12 whom he named apostles. In Romans chapter 1 verses 1 and verse 5, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. And it says this, through him we have received grace And apostleship. Now, what's important in that? I wish I could show you. I'm really sorry I don't have this up here. But it says, through him we have received grace and apostleship. He doesn't say, I have received grace and apostleship in a vacuum. He says, we have. Who's the we he's talking about? The other ones that he's met with and have confirmed him. Okay, for obedience to the faith among all the nations for his name. Or Galatians 1. In 1 and 2, we've, we've read this, but also verse 17, and this is in our focal text today. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ. Now you see how that makes better sense. And God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Now we understand, why did he add it that way? Because he's saying, I did not call myself. This wasn't done with me alone in a back room. And in verse 17 of Galatians 1, But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb. Funny, that's the same language he used in Romans 1. Who called to be an apostle separated to the gospel of God. Separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me. Now the funny thing is, when you're appointed directly by Jesus as an apostle, there's only one thing that you want to do, and that's to reveal the Son In your life. That's your mission. That's your ministry. To reveal Jesus Christ. In what you do. Let's look at the others. You all know what they're into. As they claim apostleship. I don't have to go over it. And he says that I might preach him. Now there's the emphasis again. Jesus it's only on Jesus, those who have been appointed directly by Christ to be apostles, have it a, a, they have a linear focus, a laser aim, and that is to promote, preach, and praise Jesus Christ in all they do in their ministry. He says... <laughs> He says, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and then returned to Damascus. And then it says later on, then he did. He got alone a bit. Can you imagine? Paul, a Pharisee, as astute as he was, having to deal with the risen Savior in his life, he, he needed to get alone a bit. But then the next thing he does is he goes to the others and he met with them. And he said, Here, here's what's happened. <laughs> what do you guys think? 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 7. For which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am speaking the truth in Christ and not lying. a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth and then of course later we read and of course there's lots of things you could say but peter talks about paul and many of the things that he taught was hard to understand and many unstable false teachers would twist what he said so peter recognized paul's apostleship now i just want to know where is kenneth copeland in this book you know i'm being facetious but Do you realize the blasphemy that's there? Bill Johnson. Paula White. And on and on. Joe Smith. Charles Taze Russell. And on and on and on. And I don't find any of them anywhere. Well, why? Well, Christ-appointed apostles demonstrated signs of a true apostle. Now, they're the only ones that could. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 13. Truly the signs of an apostle were accomplished among you with all perseverance in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. And indeed, they did a lot of stuff. They raised the dead. They healed the blind and the sick and the aprons were taken from them and given to sick people and they were healed. And there was all kinds of things that happened with the apostles to confirm their apostleship. In Acts chapter 5, verses 12 through 16, it says, And through the hands of the apostles many signs and wonders were done among the people. And, uh, And all of this happened. This was a common thing with the apostles. And you know, there was no fanfare. They just... It just happened. (laughs) Lastly, I'll just say this. Paul is the least of the apostles. He makes this clear in 1 Corinthians 15 when he says, Then last of all, he was seen by me also. Who was he? Jesus. He was seen by me. And then he says, As by one born out of due time. Now listen. For I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. He had humility. You can read it and and it leaks out of all of his letters and his epistles. Let me ask you, for those of you who are familiar with modern day false apostles, do you see much humility in them? This, This phrase one born out of due time in the Greek is ectroma. okay? Here's what it means. Now listen. This is the only time this word for one born out of due time, ectroma, is used. It's the only time it's used in Scripture. And it means a miscarriage, a, an abortion, untimely birth. Paul was saying that in the same way that it would be unusual for a miscarried child to live, likewise, it was abnormal for him to be an apostle. That's how less he thought of himself. He goes, I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be doing this. I know what I've done. And so this led right into his next statement about being the least of the apostles in acts 22 verse 14 then he said the god of our fathers has chosen you that you should know his will and see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth for you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard and now why are you waiting arise and be baptized and wash away your sins calling on the name of the lord he's chosen you for this so where does this, how does this help us? Why, why, why is it that we need to know about this? Why am I grandstanding on just the, the second verse, first two verses? Because Judaism in the day wanted to tell you as Gentiles that you're not good enough, really, to be part of God's kingdom. One group was saying, this whole Jesus thing, he was a false messiah. You need to convert to Judaism, essentially, is what you need to do. And you need to do all this stuff. And even then, you're still a proselyte. So, But then the other group said, well, well, no, you need Jesus. But just to be sure <laughs> that everything's good, you need to be circumcised and you need to do these food laws and you need to do all that, too. And what that's saying is that Jesus isn't quite sufficient. Now, that's what we would call Judaism. That was the effect that it had on the new church and especially the Gentile believers. I'm going to give you the updated version of it. It's not very Jewish anymore. I would say it's... Here's how I would describe it. You know Jesus good. You want to be holy. You should be. So here's a list of the things that you should do. just make sure that he's not mad at you you see this is where i live i've been writing this project to deliver to the churches on sanctification and i'm afraid all that god has done in it is show me just how much i think little of him Because there's a vast difference between piety and pietism. We should all desire to be holy. We should want that, right? Lord, what do you want me to do? Well, I want you to reflect me. Okay, can I have my list? Well, if you don't give me one, I'll make one. Here's what I got to do. God, aren't you happy with me today? I did all my list. Oh no, God, you're mad at me today because I wasn't able to finish my Bible reading. I wasn't able to pray. Or I just was so consumed with myself that I didn't even intercede for the one prayer request that I got. You must be mad at me today. Oh, I'm sorry, Jesus. No, you're just really not enough. I have to commend myself to God. That's why it matters. It's not Judaism, it's humanism. Same thing, really, at the end of the day. It's, what does the scripture says? Galatians 3, 3, which I think is the fundamental verse of this whole book. Paul writes, are you so foolish? Having begun in the spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? I would reword that and say, I'm glad you know you have a testimony of faith, but you know Jesus isn't quite big enough to make you what you should be, so you need to help Him out. Now you're calling Jesus weak. Now you're saying God can't perfect what He started. Now you're saying God is not merciful. Now you're saying God has no grace, and now you're saying that indeed you have to save yourself. Do you see how at the end of the day that is very heinous And I have to go back and apologize to God every single time I slide back into pietism. Because Titus says, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. There you go. How are we saved? Mercy. Through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Whom he poured out on us. Now here's a word. And I wish that I could show you. Abundantly. He, he, he poured out abundantly. When you wake up. And you, when you kick the wife. And hug the dog. And you're all messed up that day. Okay. <laughs> and you get back home that night. After a frustrating day. And there's no paint left on the truck. Because your language took it off. And God reminds you that you are His. If your first thought is, you're mad at me because I don't measure up, you've missed the gospel. So repent because abundantly He's poured out through Jesus Christ that you've been justified by His grace, by His merit. That's the gospel. And you've become heirs according to the hope of eternal life that he provides. The reason that you sin is because you're a sinner. And the reason you have a savior is because you're a sinner. And there are some of you sitting here today that are still sinners. In the sense that you have no covering. So you either are trying to be moral or be good enough. Or maybe you've just checked into some kind of neutral gear in your T18 transmission that it'll all somehow kind of work out, I don't think about it. But God knows those who are His. And He knows those who are not. If you don't know Christ, you should be very, very concerned. So Christians, stop living by works. You can't merit yourself. And may our words be, Lord, what do you want me to do? I'm going to ask JT to come. And as he does, I'm going to ask Brother Will if you want to go get changed. During this moment, there will be no one here at the altar. You can come and pray. But who is Jesus to you? Is he a helper, buddy? Or is he very God of very God? And is your thought of him Lord first and foremost? What do you want me to do? Are you trying to be made perfect by the flesh? These are the questions. And now you know what to pray.